0: Welcome to Get to Work Hurley, your podcast for pro writers, fans, and geeks of all sorts. On this episode, he's a New York Times bestselling and world fantasy award-winning author, nominated for the Hugo Award, Nebula Award, and Astounding Award for Best New Science Fiction Author. His novels and almost 100 stories have been translated into 20 different languages, and he teaches creative writing at Bluffton University in Ohio. Welcome to the show, Tobias S. Bakel, and now your host, Cameron Hurley.
1: Toby, I'm glad that you got to join us on this one. So thank you for thank you for saying yes. I appreciate it.
2: I was delighted.
1: Awesome. Um, another fellow Ohioan. Like we're all from Ohio. Actually, Tim's actually in Columbus. So. Oh, okay. Funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Toby, I want to talk a little bit about again. I know you and I have known each other forever, and I think we've both had. Day jobs for most of that time. I think you've always had a day. Did you? quit? You had maybe you went full time for a little while.
2: Um, you know, it's I always explain this. But it's complicated, right? Yeah. Like, uh, in two thousand six, I was laid off from my day job, and basically, I just uh, for fifteen years after that did uh, freelancing on the side, and I would just kind of rotate that up depending on how much I needed each year. So. Uh, some years it was like, you know, 50% freelance writing, 50% writing. Some years it was 80% writing, 20% freelance. And some years, a couple of years it was 100% writing, but just kind of idling the freelancing in the background so that I wouldn't lose the gig when the writing income went away, which it always does. <laughs> it
1: always does. Yeah. And now and what- I'm
2: teaching as a professor because uh, that those opportunities just kept kind of, I don't know, like uh, after fighting uphill upstream as a fiction writer and freelancer for 15 years, all these uh, visiting professor gigs kept landing in my lap and they paid fairly. And so uh, finally, I kind of used that to create a resume to apply for a regular professor job. And that's what I've been doing for the past three years
1: well, and you make, uh, you do, in fact, you were the one who introduced me to this idea of speaking fees, right? Like like people yeah. will contact you and be like, hey, come out. We'll pay you a few grand and pay all your expenses and all of that. And you do a lot of that as well, right? And get to go to cool places.
2: I, I know, right? I was doing a ton of that before the pandemic. Yeah. And that has just disappeared during the pandemic. I was also being invited to talk a lot about um, diverse uh, fiction to schools and that's just not allowed anymore. So that's yeah. all dried up um, and climate change, anything controversial at schools has gone away. And that was a major revenue stream. So uh, basically, yeah, all, all the crazy right-wingers um, have had the effect that they wanted, which is that people like me are no longer uh, being invited because people are self-censoring. So yeah. yeah, a lot of those gigs have just gone away. And also I wasn't at the top end of it. I was kind of in the, the cheap, the cheap seats of uh, speakers. I know what that's like. Yeah. 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 You know, so uh, when the budgets get cut, I think like uh, the opportunities that were kind of keeping food on the table just all went away. I I was really optimistic during the pandemic that we would, we would just have more zoom opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, And instead, everything just dried up and went away just completely. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, So yeah, that's another reason I kind of started looking at alternatives during the pandemic was realizing that, you know, a quarter of my income stream had just, just turned off overnight.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a lot of it too, is a lot of people think like, and I I was on another podcast where we talked about this. It was a new writer and he just published and he said, I thought once you published your first book, like you made it, you were in, there's like a secret badge you get. And now every time it's easier as opposed to, you know, what you and I know, which is your constant, it's this constant churn of, I have to sell and I have to sell again. And then I'm in and I'm out and the market is moving. And like, how have you, um, adjusted like to that? Not just like, like from a practical standpoint, but emotionally, right. I know we talk about emotionally, <laughs> like it's hard sometimes because progress, oh no, not a straight line. Like sometimes it's just really hard. So how do you, um, again, when we talk about long-term careers, how do you hang on for the long-term?
2: Well, I mean, we'll see. I uh, there's still a chance I'll get knocked out. Yeah, right. <laughs> so <laughs> say we all, yeah. You know, um, yeah. I mean, at the beginning of the career, uh, you know, I had a lot more kind of like, you know, I'm going to struggle on no matter what. And now that I've put in 25 years, I I, I was lucky enough to, get to start my career at 19, so I'm 44. So I've got 25 years under my belt of doing this, and. I've seen so many amazing writers get knocked out, right? Uh, who just, uh, you know, uh, a, really, uh, a really great writer that I really love. just the other day on social media just said uh, something to the effect of, I-, I can't stand this, the business side of it may yet drive me away. Someone who I've been reading since I was a kid, you know? And I was just like, wow. Like if they don't get like some of the respect that just having done amazing things for the field and been in this for a long time, You know, what chance do the rest of us have? (laughs) It was really depressing, actually. Um, But uh, yeah, so my thing is that I look at it like a stock market, right, is the metaphor I use when I talk to new writers. It's not a straight line. It's this like boom bust cycles and dips and valleys and all of these things. And so uh, sometimes the phone rings and sometimes it does not. And I've been through, I think, at least six distinct eras uh if you want me to i can like actually just count them off but i I, i've been through so many boom bust cycles in my career that i think the only thing that keeps me going at this point is just this sort of shrug and uh oh here we go again like the phone has stopped ringing this happens it'll stop ringing for about two to three years and then you just keep working in the background because stuff of yours will come out during that two to three years so no one on the outside knows that like the phone isn't ringing. They're kind of like, oh, look, a new Tobias Backel novel. You know, and uh, eventually it comes back around and suddenly like the phone is ringing too much. You have to figure out what to take and what to turn down, which always, this is why like, uh, it's always hard to turn things down though, because every time you go through a bust cycle, you're like, oh my gosh, it's raining again. I have to say yes to every single opportunity.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and then again, you end up, burning yourself out but i yep. think that that was an interesting thing too again um which is really good like the perception of us versus our internal reality right because i'm like things, i haven't yeah. finished a book in years i'm a loser da, da, da. <laughs> and I, but from the outside someone's just gonna go once the book hits oh there's a new camera early now that's so great right but internally yeah. And that's some of that I think um, issue with the business is internally there's so much pressure to perform, right? And to be churning out books at least one a year just to keep you top of mind. But whereas the market's just like, oh, when you have it, you have it, that's great. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, I was just watching this, uh, uh, Adam Goldberg, the uh, guy who does the comedy TV show is a giant Star Wars fan and just did a uh, Star Wars holiday Christmas special documentary which is fantastically niche if you're really into Star Wars. I uh, just out, yeah. dropped on uh, Apple TV, and I rented it two nights ago. And there's this whole section where basically the thesis is that the holiday special happened because there was pressure on George Lucas before he was George Lucas to put something out because they were like, hey, people are going to forget about Star Wars if you don't put something out in between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. So he's under this incredible pressure to give – the fans something because the the, the common accepted wisdom was uh, they're going to walk away and forget this ever existed if uh, the sequel comes out in three or four years. So you've got to hustle. And that pushed him into this situation where a lot of decisions were made that may have been decisions he wouldn't have made if he understood like, hey, it's going to be around. Uh, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Everyone can take a deep breath. Um, but like he, it really shows how he's backed into a corner, right? You know, it just it, you know, that pressure to produce,
1: and that you might not produce the best thing. <laughs> I mean, a niche, a niche fun thing, but maybe, maybe well, when, not. The
2: you know best when the machine thing. is convinced that everything is a widget,
1: yeah. it doesn't understand oh, product.
2: Yeah. yeah, they don't understand like I've just seen so much uh, uh, tension between the idea of creation and widget creation you know widget making. Okay. And there's this incredible you know why else is AI such a huge thing right now, right? Because what it, why is it built? Well because it, makes it it makes it easier to create widgets mm-hmm. right And the idea that there may be some you know maybe art is more complicated than that is frustrating to a, a, a capitalist system that just wants you to be on a production line. Like, look, you put words together just like the other person did. It should sell approximately the same if it's in the same genre.
1: Yeah. And funny enough, it does, you know, I got my first uh, client piece that they said, we made this with chat DTP. Can you edit it? <laughs> um, and I said, no, <laughs> I said, no, I can rewrite it based on your prompt and, and kind of intuit what you want but all this is, is word vomit. Like there's, you want this yeah. white paper, there's no thought leadership. And it was something, I think it was uh, one of our, our friends, Daniel Abraham had said, he said, um, if no one can be bothered to, to write it, why should I be bothered to read it? And that's right. a lot of it too, right? If no one's interested enough or hasn't prioritized this enough to, to pay for it or put any effort into it, why should it be valuable to me? You know, right. yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that with creation. You know, I want to talk about also um, maybe kind of the path to publication for your latest book, which was Stranger the Citadel, um, which is like based in this society where like books are banned. Um, and I know that that kind of had, again, it was for trying to find that one a home was really difficult, again, speaking about how weird the industry is. And I wonder if you want to just talk about kind of that process um, of trying to sell that one and where it, you know, finally landed with a home.
2: Yeah, this was a book I had to, it was very Sisyphean in some ways. Uh, My, uh, I I guess I can talk out of term. my prior agent didn't like the idea when I pitched it. Um, So, uh, you know, after spending a couple of years, just, you know, having it in my head and marinating it uh, and then finally kind of pitching it, um, it it got a very negative reception and I happened to change agents uh, uh, sometime after that. And, that agent was uh, doing some negotiations with Audible. And in the process of that, I realized that I had a big open spot in my calendar and had been talking to Audible about possibly doing a novella a few years before, but was too busy. So I kind of reached back around in the middle of this. Since communications were open again, I thought, well, here's my shot. Let's shoot it. And at that point, I'd had the book in my head for four years total. And so I'd just been running it through my head and it hadn't gone away. So I thought maybe there's something here. I'd really, really like to, like to write this novel. And so I thought maybe I can compress it and pitch it as a novella to Audible and see if they like it. And so in the middle of this negotiation about re-upping audio rights with my new agent, I kind of slid in with a, hey, by the way, <laughs> would you all like a novella? I've got some time in my schedule. Uh, little did I know the pandemic was about to hit, and I'd have a lot of time in my schedule. But uh, I, so I sent them the novella pitch, and they loved it. And in fact, they came back with a, you know, we we passed this around and read it, and we, we kind of had this crazy idea. We think it might possibly be a novel. Like, do you think you could maybe, like, you know, unpack it and, and see if you could get a novel out of it? And I was just like, I think I could do that, you know, and went and grabbed the original synopsis and just sent it. Um, and they loved it. So uh, they brought uh, they purchased the rights to have me write it as a novel and uh, put together this really cool deal where, the, where it's on Audible plus, so it's uh, free for any audible subscriber to listen to. Um, and so I wrote it during the pandemic. We you know, went through revision, published it at Audible, and I thought, this is amazing because uh, it's about banning books, so it's going to come out as audio first. Like it really fits with the story of the novel. It's wonderful um and and then at some point someone will buy it and do a print edition after the audible exclusivity of i think it was like a year six months or a year i forget which i don't have the contract in front of me anyway after that period of exclusivity someone else comes out with the print edition and then and then you know bob's your uncle right um except uh turns out bob's not my uncle and it took uh almost two and a half years because Everyone is so locked down on the idea of you, uh, you know, uh, have to buy audio rights. Audio now. rights you, yeah. you can't sell a book uh, as a, you know, midlist or below writer uh, without the audio rights. And so all these editors liked it. It, it went all the way to like marketing and, and mm-hmm. CEOs and it kept getting knocked back because the audio rights weren't with it. And it was really, it was really frustrating. And I was beginning to make peace with the idea that this would only be an audio book when... Uh, Tachyon got back to us and said, yeah, we like it. This is great and decided to do an edition for which I was like really grateful because I was like, I do want this to be in print because in the two years since it came out uh, as an audiobook, the whole world changed. When it came out, uh, the reviews would just engage with it as this funny science fictional thought experiment, but like not of any pertinence to our world today. Like this, this would have been pertinent in the fifties, you know, but it's not pertinent today, right? Yes, it's in a conversation with Fahrenheit 451, but that's an old book, <laughs> and the things that, like, you know, the things that caused it to be written are no longer problems we have. Yeah. And then, you know, that crazy uh, lady with her uh, three-way love triangle and rapist husband banned all these books. You know, <laughs> the Moms for Liberty freaks yep. ban all these books, and all of a sudden, like when my print book comes out all the reviews and attention and reader feedback is like, geez, man, this is so pertinent to our like current situation. Um, even though I wrote it like, you know, years before all this stuff was really kicking off. So mm-hmm. it's been a really interesting publishing journey that shows a couple of things. One, how much publishing has changed. You can't sell, sell you know, unless you have the whole ebook, print book, audiobook uh, all packaged together. And also it just shows like how timing is this wild luck variable you know when i tell a lot of new risers it's all about luck you don't have a lot of like examples to give that aren't like well that's that person it's a standalone thing but if you can say the same book came out at this time and got this kind of reaction and it came out at this time and gets this completely different kind of reaction that just shows you just how like yeah luck is such a huge factor in this
1: so much so much of it is timing and i know you and i have talked about this too of like we felt like our books came out a little earlier than the like wave of like, Oh, you know, diverse science fiction and Oh, it's, this is great. But we were also part of feeding into what made that wave. Right. So it's like hard to say, Oh, if only I would have, you know, hit here. I remember really I didn't, my own stuff really didn't hit until ancillary Justice hit. And once Anselmary Justice hit, suddenly people want to buy Cameron Hurley books. And it's interesting. Like it's, it's all about that that timing, but also you're kind of feeding the trends as well. I don't know. yeah, it's interesting. It's a weird business.
2: It's a weird business. And like, you got to go out and do the thing, right? Like I don't I have no regrets for trying to publish a book with Caribbean dialect and all Caribbean cast in two thousand and six. <laughs> but looking back at it, I was just like, the world was so unappreciative. <laughs> You know, the number of bookstore sellers that would be like, you know, oh, black people don't read science fiction when they would hear my pitch, you know, and turn me away when I would go from bookstore to bookstore because I was just trying to drum up attention. Um, you know, organizers at conventions, uh, people in publishing that would sit me down and be like, stop, just stop doing this. You know, well, like I flat out remember getting offered, you know, two to three times my usual advance at a publishing office. If I would do something different, just flat out. Here's the bargain, right? Yeah. You know, like you want the carrot,
1: yeah. you know,
2: mm-hmm. drop in line. Mm-hmm. And it it's it's hard when all you want is to, because there's that part of you that just wants to be published. You want to be That's in awesome. the game. You want like get you know get me off the bench. You know, uh, you just want to be in there. And then the other part of you is like, no, but I'm actually trying to do something here, right? Um, it's tough it's really tough.
1: Yeah. Well, and I remember it is so funny how much it has that part at least is all right. And again, it's changed because of marketing, right? I like, like all these so <laughs> yeah, that is marketing. So, cause I remember reading, I got Gideon the ninth as a, um, uh, an arc and I remember reading it and again, it's, Oh, you know, lesbians in space and weird, uh, just weird. It was a weird ass book and memes. It was just weird. I remember reading it, thinking this author is so talented, and I'm so sad because this book is gonna fail. <laughs> <laughs> thinking right that it is. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's twenty. It's 2009. It's 2011. Um, but the market has, you know, it has shifted. Um, yeah. Because they did. They found that it did sell. It turns out if you market something, it'll sell. Right, Toby? Yeah. So,
2: Shocking. I know. Shocking. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, talking about like, you know, if this is aimed at, at, at working professionals, I mean, a lot of people ask me, when was the moment like I stopped? I, I used to be part of the cadre that like, you know, went from bookstore to bookstore, like I said earlier, hustling, like trying to get awareness. You know, I'd go talk to all the community relations managers at Barnes and Nobles in a probably six state area. I've been to almost every Barnes and Noble, every indie store, every store I could find that was, you know, within driving distance, within a half day driving distance of me. Um, at the start of my career. And when I did a media tie-in novel was when I stopped doing that. Why? Because I saw what it took to push a novel big time yeah. and it had almost nothing to do with me, right? Here I was with a book that was a New York Times bestseller and during the whole promotion cycle of it, I was actually in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and if that didn't show me how unimportant I was to the process <laughs> and how all the levers are something else, that that was one of them right like that moment was just i came out of the hospital and they called and they're like you know i did one thing uh when i got out of the hospital i spent half a day doing radio satellite interviews Mm. for the book i did seven of them um after i got out of the hospital and uh and then slept for three days and when i woke up from that three days of sleeping afterwards i had a email or an email that congratulated me on being a new york times bestseller and i was I was, uh, I had to reevaluate a lot of things at that moment.
1: (laughs) it was the interviews.
0: Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, clearly it was the interviews that put it over the top.
2: Clearly. It was clearly the interviews. I mean, I was so charming uh, as I got out of the hospital from a pulmonary embolism, you know, figuring that at any moment I could die. And I was so hopped up on morphine or uh, actually not morphine, uh, 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 basically legal heroin, oxycodone, that I'm surprised I was even putting proper sentences together for those interviews. I did not cover myself in glory. <laughs> I showed up.
1: <laughs> no, I remember I was talking, uh, I think it was someone said when the third Robert Jordan book came out, and this is very similar to what they did for George Martin, which was it wasn't doing so great. So they printed a million copies and gave it away. <laughs> and that was what, you know, no oh, yeah. I'm like, well no shit, Sherlock. Yeah. Give away no. and that's what again Hannah who's our, our mutual agent has said the same. She's like the best thing I know for selling books is to print a shitload of books and them yeah. away for free. And it's yep. like, what does that have to do with you and I? Nothing.
2: <laughs> so there's this fascinating uh, analysis I saw from a, uh, someone who went and got their, I think, uh, master's mm-hmm. by studying publishing. And they wow. did a deep uh, statistical analysis of what books succeed and what don't. And they found out that like, basically, if you get $50,000 of an advance or more, the chance the signal is higher. And if you make under $50,000 as an advance, the book is guaranteed to never achieve orbit,
1: yeah. right?
2: It, it, I was like, oh, damn.
1: Oh, right. <laughs> I did the same thing. I went, oh, I'm yeah. glad, this is why we got to hold up for the big bucks. Yeah. And yep, it's not yep. even big bucks, right? 50 no. is, $50, is it's it's, like $50,000 is a year's, it's a
2: median, it's a median salary for a year's worth right? of work in the U.S. Yeah. How long does a novel take? About a year, About a like year. we're all, all of us working, you know, professionals are struggling to do a book a year and yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, Tim, did you have our, our wrap them up questions for us? I want to make sure we keep it tight.
0: We have our, our, our regular, what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? What sort of things are in your pop culture orbit at the moment?
2: What am I reading right now? Uh, I just finished rereading *Leviathan's Wake* with my science fiction class, so we just wrapped that up on Friday. Um, uh, reading, so like when I'm reading along with the class, you know, I've got I'm teaching literature during the semester. It's hard to fit in some other books, but I am audiobooking uh, the the third book of the *Children of Time* series by Adrian Chikowski, which is. Actually, I did finish that uh, a week ago, which was fantastic. So I'm currently just uh, poking around for a new audiobook to listen to uh, on my Audible uh, library. And what am I watching? I just finished watching Obliterated on Netflix, which was r- really interesting. There are three things in it that I don't think will hold up in 20 years that I think I'll look back on and be like, ooh, I shouldn't have been enjoying this so much. And... A lot of the rest of it that works is like a transition fossil from the old science, uh, old uh, action hero, uh, 1980s muscle bound, uh, you know, USA, Team USA uh, action military movies to this sort of like new world that we live in where it's got a uh, diverse team of uh, individuals fighting alongside your typical American alpha male, who is just like in Peacekeeper going through a very uh, definite character arc of learning how to be a better person to his diverse team. Interesting. And there's a lot of really mm, uh, check that out, yeah. and there's a lot of like uh, nudity and and uh, brutality and uh, Blood. Blood. fun crazy yeah. drugs <laughs> and uh, yeah. The basically the idea of the show is that a you know a SEAL Team Six type group of people comprised of people from all the different three letter agencies of the U S are there to stop a nuclear bomb in Las Vegas and they stop it. And no one, they can't tell anyone. So they decide to have the ultimate rager slash orgy um, in Las Vegas to celebrate (laughs) saving America. And in the middle of the uh, rager, the phone calls the phone rings and it's their uh, supervisor who's like, Hey, um, turns out the nuke was a fake and y'all need to get out there before morning and find the real one. Only they are high on everything you can imagine. <laughs> Bad decisions ensue. That's
0: wild.
1: <laughs> right, the hangover spy version, right? It's yeah. like
2: the hangover meets the A-team.
1: That's hilarious.
2: Literally.
0: Oh, that sounds great.
1: I know what I'm watching tonight. Yes.
2: <laughs> but there are three things in it that are really problematic. And it's like, oh, man. It, it's it's great i love talking about it i'm gonna rewatch it but yeah, oh, yeah, sure, yeah. i i, I don't know how i feel problematic recommending it.
1: content warning yeah yeah
2: yeah like <laughs> like i like this but i have complicated feelings about liking it i'm sorry everybody <laughs>
1: <laughs> i don't think i've been watching anything nearly that good i'm watching old murder shows again that's great Rachel and pasco that was pretty good but yeah, I'm reading. You know what I read, and I think you read it too, is On Failure by Stephen Somebody. It was that little tiny essay book um, yep. just about writing and failure, which was really yeah. amazing. Um, I really enjoyed that one. It was much shorter than I thought it would be. Um, but I, I
2: love I love short writing books. Yeah. I think that like the big fat not uh, like you know books about writing. Mm-hmm. I'm always I'm always like mm, I don't know if a hundred thousand word count is like. A necessary thing if you can get in and out shorter. My my favorite was always um, uh, Ken Rand had this really really short book on revision hmm. uh, that I think is being republished by Patrick Swenson at Tailbones. Oh cool. Um, I forget what the title is off the top of my head. I should look to my left here, and I think I have it at my office because sometimes I give it to students. But like it's called oh it's called the ten percent solution.
1: Oh Right I'm read it and down. it's.
2: It's like a handbook. It's like it's like this thin. It's like a flimsy, you know, uh, little book. Uh, but like, I loved it. That was a yeah. great book for me when I was starting out. Because it was just like, just the facts, man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like to your point, give me in and out. Yeah. Yeah. No, that one was really good. And then uh, I did start reading The Dawn of Everything, um, which is that humanity book. Yeah, really good.
2: Is that by Um, uh, Noval? uh, Yeah. Yes, I did read that. I I did read that.
1: Oh, you did read it. Yeah, I'd had it forever and I was sitting on it. And now I'm, yeah, a little bit through it. I'm like, okay, this is great. Yeah, that was really good.
2: Oh, the other thing I'm still working my way through, and I'm only halfway through now, and I've been doing—I've been working on this book for two years—is <laughs> uh, um, Graber's Debt: The First Five Thousand Years.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard yeah. that one's was really good too.
2: It's really good, but I just have to occasionally just stop and go do something else for I don't know five to six months, and then come <laughs> back to it. You're
1: still going. You're still going. I'm
2: still in it. Like Daniel, we uh, mentioned Daniel, but Daniel yeah. was recommending uh, The Power Broker, uh, the yes, uh, yeah. uh, biography of uh, Robert Moses, mm-hmm. um, which the joke is everyone's read the first chapter because they all cite the same little interesting anecdote from it. And then no one has gotten like no. deeper into the book. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've had that on my shelf for like five years now. And like every time I think like this is, this is the month that I'm going to tackle it. I pick it up and I look at how thick it is. And so help me, I put it back on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> I need to like download the uh, ebook or something because then I won't be cognizant of just how much is ahead of me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. No, I feel. Yeah. Again, again, that, that dawn of handy, but yeah, it's like this, this thing. Yeah. I feel
2: you. <laughs> Cause like, I still have some flashbacks to like, you know, being in school when like, you know, the teacher assigned like, you know, Moby Dick or like, or, 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 or the worst month of my life when uh, one of my teachers got really excited and uh, assigned us Atlas Shrugged Oh my which, god! So as eighth graders. Oh. what i loved about it was that we all hated it and not for <laughs> just the obvious reasons we all hated it for the right reasons right oh, we we're like the logic doesn't hold up yeah. this person is stupid
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep shall i close yeah, this out
1: I, th- I think we're good tim
0: okay
2: i mean you- bagging on and and ran to go out. Uh, right. But who, what a like, better way to,
1: to go out? I feel out. Yeah. good
2: about this. Goddamn, go.
1: and ran. Sleeve on a high.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, you if can, she really cared about her reputation, she'd pull it up by her bootstraps.
1: That's right.
0: There you go. <laughs> you can find Toby at tobiasbuckel.com and at Patreon under the same name as well as Blue Sky. Strange The Stranger in a Citadel is available everywhere books are sold and it's a part of the Audible um if you have the Audible app or not app the uh, what what's it called the uh, program or
2: uh yeah if you if you subscribe to Audible you can get it for free
0: That's right And of course Cameron is at cameronhurley.com is on Blue Sky and Instagram under the same name you can sign up for short gooey adventures from her from her every month at patreon which is where the video for this episode will be cameron's hi cameron's
2: patreon supporters
0: (laughs) in the flesh in the flesh take us home
1: all right thank you toby so much uh for being with us today and as for everybody else listening get back to work